Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. You read the Gospels long enough and you realize that Jesus likes to mess with us. <laughs> you definitely feel that this morning. If we uh, are reading scripture, encountering Jesus in any way, encountering Jesus' life, Jesus' teachings, especially his wild stories or the stories that he tells, these parables, and we can only manage a yawn or a tired sermon, then we can be pretty certain that we've missed most everything that Jesus is doing, most everything that Jesus is saying. Last week, Jesus told us about the reliable generosity of our good father by telling us about a scoundrel of a judge who should never have been allowed in office. And this week, Jesus tells us another story right on the hills of that story. And Jesus tells us about exactly the opposite of this lousy judge. Jesus tells us about an upright religious man. Now, this, uh, this upright religious man was faithful in his creed. He could have said the creed with us just like we do every Sunday. He was stalwart in his spiritual practice. This is the guy you want teaching your Sunday school class. This is actually probably the guy you want as your pastor. The elders hear this kind of story, and they call a secret meeting to see how we can get this guy in as the pastor because he is top-notch. Now, for a lot of us, when we hear the word Pharisee, we have some of Jesus' stories that we highlight above others, and we also have some of our own, uh, perhaps, heritage of how we've loved to crucify these Pharisees, because we really like to have somebody to crucify. And so when we think of the word Pharisee, we think of the word naturally hypocrite. But that's not what the word Pharisee means. It doesn't mean hypocrite. The Pharisees in the first century were those who kept the faith. And there's actually no reason to doubt the Pharisee's self-assessment. Do you remember how he described himself here? The Pharisee is standing by himself and praying, and he's saying this to God. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like that tax collector sitting over there. You see him? I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Now, the problem that Jesus gives us with the Pharisee is not that he's a liar. The problem Jesus gives with the Pharisee is he really thought too much about the things he actually did do. Apparently, the Pharisee was a pretty good guy. In high school, we used to talk about guys like this, and we'd say, well, he talked smack, but he can back it up. <laughs> Apparently, the Pharisee prayed smack, but <laughs> for the most part, his life backed it up. The Pharisee, and the scripture is just really interesting, it says he's standing by himself. Uh, a lot of times, those of us who think a lot about ourselves, in one way or the other, we are standing by ourselves, aren't we? 
He didn't gouge his customers for profit. He didn't prey on the weak. He wasn't a carousing scoundrel like the judge in the previous parable. He didn't sneak around on his wife. And to top it off, he wasn't like that tax collector. Further, he, his faith was not just negative, it was really positive. He tithed at least 10% of everything he owned, just like God had told him. He fasted two times a week. I mean, this was a good guy. Give him some credit. And then there was the tax collector. And the scripture says the tax collector was standing afar off. He also was off on his own for different reasons, it seems. The tax collector, unlike the Pharisee, was, whew, well, I mean, he was a tax collector. He'd sold out to the man for profit. He'd taken whatever he could swindle whenever and wherever he could swindle it. He was a corporate man who had no scruples other than lining his own pockets. This tax collector was not someone you wanted to play even in a game of Uno because he was going to cheat. I love the way uh, Robert Capone, no relation to Al, the way he describes these two characters. Consider the characters in this parable. Forget the prejudice that Jesus' frequently stinging remarks about Pharisees have formed in your mind. Give this particular Pharisee all the credit you can. He is, after all, a good man. To begin with, he's not a crook, not a time server, not a womanizer. He takes nothing he hasn't honestly earned. He gives everyone he knows fair and full measure, and he is faithful to his wife, patient with his children, and steadfast for his friends. He is not at all like this publican, this tax farmer, who is the worst kind of crook, a legal one, a big operator, a mafia-style enforcer working for the Roman government on a nifty franchise that lets him collect from his fellow Jews, mind you, from the people whom the Romans might have trouble finding, but whose whereabouts he knows and whose language he speaks, all the money he can bleed out of them provided only he pays the authorities an agreed flat fee. He's been living for years on the cream he has skimmed off their milk money. He's a fat cat who drives a stretch limo, drinks nothing but McAllen 20 year, and never shows up at a party without at least two $500 a night call girls in tow. We have two very different characters here. The Pharisee was very moral. He was religiously faithful, but he was full of bull. His words betrayed a sickness in his soul. He fell prey to humanity's great temptation, self-righteousness. He believed that when it was all said and done, his moral clarity, his self-discipline, his spiritual fortitude, his good theology was his ticket. The truth of things, though, is that it's, it's not up to us. It never has been. The good news of Jesus is that we don't have to fret about being good enough for God because it's impossible to even try. 
because God's welcome and God's rescue is entirely a gift. It's grace, top to bottom. And the tax collector was welcomed by God, and this is, I think, an important thing to remember, not because he'd figured out an even superior righteous path than the Pharisee. You know, act humble, be very small, be contrite, maybe work up some tears, maybe pour on some ashes. This tax collector was welcomed by God because the tax collector knew he was a mess. And as such, he couldn't easily bring himself, he could easily bring himself to ask for the mercy that God longed to give. The difference between the tax collector and the Pharisee was that one knew how to receive a gift and the other hadn't quite figured it out yet. In this past year, we had some friends offer to help us in an immensely generous way. It was the kind of thing that was almost breathtaking. And it was really hard to receive that help. <laughs> I had to think long and hard about it. At the end of the day, the choice that was before me was just to say thank you or not. Now, so far, we've only actually dealt with one part of what Jesus said this story was about. At the beginning, you might remember that we're told what, what this parable is for. That Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Now, I've heard over my lifetime a fair number of sermons from this story about the Pharisee and the danger of self-righteousness. I was trying to think this week if I've ever heard one about the Pharisee's contempt. Now, I don't, I don't think that I have, and I'm not sure why this is the case. Maybe it's because I just wasn't paying attention. But I wonder, maybe, if it's because those of us who are religious, we traffic often in contempt. We're people who think that we see the world with an alternative vision, with a moral compass, with a theological imagination. And often anyone who doesn't meet up to our standards will meet up to our contempt, to our disdain. Contempt means to despise, to scorn, to look down on, perhaps uh, worse, to count as nothing. To have contempt for another human is to reject that person's very being. It's a degradation of someone's personhood. It's not merely to disagree with someone. It's not merely to contend with things that you think ought to be contended with. It is to defame and degrade someone's humanity. Contempt not only degrades another person, it degrades us as well. Because to have contempt for another person is to give into a kind of darkness in our own soul. A grim sickness 
that is at odds with the truth that God is the lover and redeemer of every person, that God is a lover and redeemer of every speck of this world. And once we begin to pour on contempt, it is immensely difficult to stop because it can feel so good, at least for a little bit. And like the Pharisee, we can pour on contempt with very noble language. We can be fighting for truth. We can be even defending the weak. We can be sniffing out lies. We can be serving God and justice the American way. Contempt is difficult to spot sometimes because it is the cousin of self-righteousness, but it sometimes seems like it's a self-righteousness that's gotten a little smarter, a little stronger wit, a little more intelligent. It can slice really quick. In our age, one of the worst things you could ever be called is a fundamentalist. And the last thing any of us want to be thought of is judgmental. So many of us are twisting backwards to make sure that we're never seen of as that kind of narrow, unenlightened person. You know, the, the folks from the 1950s. I wonder, though, if perhaps our upgraded, well-cloaked form of self-righteousness is contempt. Of course, for some of us, what may be the most damaging thing is that for some of us in this room, the one that we have contempt for is ourselves, the person that God's made us to be. And that's a really damaging thing once our contempt turns on the image of God within us. You've probably missed this. I'm sure it's not on your radar at all, but we're about to have an election. A lot of passions run high here, and for good cause, because there's a lot of things to be concerned about. But with all our conviction and our activism, because we are people of Jesus, we must not give in to contempt. I wonder if self-righteous smugness about our political clarity, our political purity, and contempt for those that we feel are less enlightened is how we might be just like the Pharisee. Our Christian conviction, our belief in every human, every politician, and every person who supports a politician are an image bearer of God. Now, that reality uh, doesn't lessen our conviction. <laughs> it doesn't lessen our prayer and our activism and our hope to work for things that are true and right and good, but it absolutely changes the way we interact with people. It will change the tone, the posture. It may calm down some of our language. I wonder if we are able, because we certainly ought to be, able to disagree, I mean, to separate what it means to disagree with Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton and what it means to have contempt for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. 
what it means to disagree with someone who supports a candidate that we strongly disagree with and what it means to have contempt for that person. If the kingdom of God is ever to heal and make whole, it has to heal and make whole us first. And the Christian way of engaging is a way of strength and conviction and clarity and grace. And I get that wrong about 84% of the time. But I think these are the kinds of moments that really ask us to practice our faith, to be people who are winsome and wise and yes, full of conviction and bring the best of our mind and our arguments to bear, but to do so in a way that is faithful and does not surrender the Jesus that we say is Lord and that loves every single person that we will ever interact with. I um, did my, I probably shouldn't have mentioned, mentioned this, but I will. I did my first, I, I'm not very good at Twitter. I did my first Twitter, like, I don't know if it's a call out or what it is. I, I called out someone on Twitter. And it was because I was, it was one o'clock in the morning and me and Donald Trump were up tw uh, Twittering, I guess. Um, no, I, ha I happened to get in uh, really late and I had seen this thing and I'm not gonna name him, it's not the point but it was someone who has purported to be a Christian spokesperson. And this Christian spokesperson, and the point is not about Barack Obama, but he had chosen, this Christian spokesperson had chosen to uh, tweet something about President Obama, and it was so vile. This was not about winning an election. There was something else happening here. And I uh, was overcome by, by weariness <laughs> and, uh, and anger. And I'm not sure it was righteous. I'm not sure yet. But, <laughs> but I, uh, I tweeted this person. And I said, I, I'm not sure if you are still claiming to be a, political, a Christian spokesperson versus just a partisan. But if yes, please, please think very long and hard about what you have just done. Because to many people, this person represents... Uh, the kingdom of God. And this is not about scoring points. It's about saying something of, as the people of God, something deep has to, has to break in us for the postures that so many of us have toward, the, toward our neighbor. And at some point, at some point, our claim to be the people of God has to take first priority. It has to. It has to change the way we interact with one another. And yes, if we dig long enough, I suspect it will unseat some of our politics. It will unseat the way we use our money. It will unseat the way we live in our marriages. It will unseat the way we raise our kids. It will unseat our tone with one another. It will unseat the kinds of questions we ask. It will, it will raise all kinds of trouble for us. And we just keep walking into it. We keep saying, God, make us more faithful. Make us more true. Because the grace of God is my hope and your hope, and it's the hope of the world. And the grace of God is not just a theological concept. It's something that actually gets worked out in the way we live in this world. Amen. That we are people of grace. And if that is not true, then perhaps we should just close up our Bibles and close up our mouths and be quiet for about a year.
and that probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.